Good afternoon and welcome to Leveraging Threat Intelligence to Secure Your Cloud Environment, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Clear Data. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO, and I will be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You could send in your questions or comments at any time in the Q&A box, and we'll take them later in the program. Uh, just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, uh, first we're going to go about 35, 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Chris Aykroyd, SVP and CIO at Children's Health, Sahan Fernando, CISO at Radies Children's Hospital San Diego, and Chris Bowen, CISO and founder at Clear Data, and then we will have our audience Q&A. Let's jump right in. Lots of good stuff to discuss today. Um, Chris Aykroyd, can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, good morning or afternoon. But um, uh, as you mentioned, Chris Aykroyd, uh, SVP and CIO for Children's Health. I've uh, been with this organization for a little over seven years now. Um, healthcare for uh, past 15 to 16 years. Um, Children's Health, uh, Dallas, Texas-based uh, organization, uh, two-hospital system. Uh, ranked as one of the uh, as the eighth largest pediatric system in the nation, so uh, quite a bit of uh, a patient volume, um, over fifty five specialties uh, and subspecialties in our in our organization, um, and uh, focused on uh, providing wonderful and uh, top notch pediatric care. Excellent, thank you, Sahan. Hey, good morning and good afternoon. Uh, my name is Sahan Fernando. I'm the Chief Information Security Officer for Rady Children's. Uh, we are a health system based out of San Diego, but uh, work with partners all over uh, the U.S. and even outside of the U.S. Uh, big focus on our acute care, but we also have primary care. Uh, we do some work in the genomics, diagnostics, and um, sequencing area. And uh, boy, it's uh, just really great to meet everyone. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. Very good. Chris Bowen. Thank you. Uh, uh, Chris Bowen, uh, I'm our CISO. I'm also, I also play the role of the Chief Privacy Officer and the HIPAA Security Official and hire the DPA organization in the U UK to uh, help comply with those laws over there. My role as uh, CISO is to uh, ensure that we have governance, we manage our risk, uh, we manage our regulatory compliance, and we also make sure that we um, offer as our core mission, uh, managed defense, managed services around cloud enablement for companies like the ones that you're talking to today. Uh, we support uh, healthcare workloads in the cloud. We help uh, customers move to the cloud. We help them operate in a cloud in a way that uh, keeps them secure, keeps the patient data secure, and keeps them compliant with the law. So that's us. I'm, I'm happy to be here today. Thank you. Very good, Chris. All right, uh, Chris Ackwood, Ackroyd, let's start with you. Where is your organization in its cloud journey? We're, um, we're, we're a little bit early on in this journey for us. Um, we, have, we have multiple cloud instances. We are part of AWS, Azure, when it comes to native cloud. Uh, we are a... Um, maybe more of a SaaS first type of model than anything else. But um, when we look at our on-premise data centers, we are we are beginning to to move toward more public cloud natively. 
uh, for DR considerations, uh, further security considerations when it comes to ransomware and uh, what those capabilities are. Um, also heavily evaluating a lot of our workloads of, of what is a good fit up in native cloud, um, you know, whether it be Azure or AWS. And uh, we're an Epic shop. So that's that's part of our consideration too there is what parts of Epic um, do we move and when. So we're I would say we're early, but uh, we we've got a lot of a lot of things out there, a lot of assets out there now um, that we we focus on. Very good, Sahan. Uh, definitely a lot of similarities for us. Uh, I would say if you go back a few years, uh, we were still uh, very heavily on premise, and we've worked over the last uh, two to three years in particular on uh, taking a big paradigm shift on how we approach technology and really uh, fundamentally looking at things first from that availability standpoint um, for critical workloads. Uh, I think that's that's the big priority for us first and foremost is the, the continuity of care. And so uh, within that context, we really looked at what are the, I mean, very similar to Chris, your organization, we really look at what makes sense to move to uh, a cloud system, whether it's workload, whether it's entire systems, um, we do try and look at cloud first for um, quite a few applications, uh, and especially for, for mission-critical items like uh, EMR and, and uh, for email, we're really having those conversations. Email, for instance, we've already migrated, but um, we are an epic shop as well, and uh, we're certainly evaluating how much does it make sense to stay on-prem versus moving to uh, a hybrid or fully cloud uh, deployment. Very good. All right, Chris Bowen, we're going to start with you on this question. How would you describe the process of involving security in these cloud arrangements? What do you think is the optimal process of doing this from a governance point of view? Well, I think it's important that you just decide what you want to do first in the cloud. I think uh, uh, Chris and uh, Sahan, you both said it very well in terms of understanding what you want to put in the cloud. Uh, it's very easy to have cloud sprawl. It's very easy to, to let your product organization just run and uh, start spinning things up and, and trying to innovate in cloud. Uh, without the right controls, it comes back to role-based access controls, who can do what, who can spin up what, uh, and when can they do that? Uh, you, you've got to consider that. You've also got to consider the finances. Uh, cloud is a utility-based billing scenario. And if you want to save money, you can certainly do that. If you want to waste a lot of money, uh, you can certainly uh, ignore the governance part of that. And so what we do, uh, we're a high trust uh, certified organization. We have been, we just finished our, our fifth one. Uh, we, I think we were the first ones, uh, first cloud providers to have one back in 2014. Um, but, but really it's, 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 it's almost a change management process. You know, am I going to spin something up where am I going to spin that up? Um, how do I know what success looks like? Uh, and it's it's wrapping those policies and those procedures around your ability to to move quickly in the cloud. That's a kind of a short answer. Uh, I could go on and on about this one for for hours, but uh, uh, but that's that's kind of the high level. All right, let's hear from our other panelists, and then if you want to jump back in, Chris Bowen, with anything uh, additional that comes to mind, uh, Sahan, let's go to you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well. I think it's a fair assumption. We like to be involved early. Um, you know, we, <clears throat> excuse me, we really look at InfoSec as a very 
business necessary process. And so the earlier we're involved, the more we can help uh, from the InfoSec standpoint and just an overall process standpoint. Um, we've identified plenty of instances where, uh, hey, this sounds great on paper. What does this mean operationally? Um, like you said, Chris, what does this mean from a true cost perspective? Uh, you know, how, how does this all fit in a more macro sense? And so um, for us, we really especially look at what are what is the actual business process we are supporting? Uh, and then we start to do the risk assessment of, you know, within that context, what controls are in place? Um, what what does the contract language look like? What does the ongoing relationship look like? And start, um, you know, from that governance point, point of view, how do we ensure that there's a reasonable amount of due diligence without being too much of a roadblock? Um, especially requests tend to come on the we would like to move sooner than later. Um, but for those big workload ones, you know, if we were to look at, hey, we're moving our entire data center into the cloud, we we naturally wouldn't look at that only two months ahead of time. Very good, Chris Ackroyd. A lot of good answers so far. Um, I'll speak from a little bit of place of experience um, that we've, we had to go back and learn a little bit, but uh, for us, when when to include security and the process involving that, it's it's um, it's the first part. I mean, cloud sprawl, as Chris I think mentioned, and uh, Chris used a, a word that uh, kind of made me laugh, but letting the, the organization buy things. And you know, the other part is when they just do it. But um, at the end of the day, it's it you know the cloud and cloud sprawl. It is it's broadening your attack surface. Um, and so, how that's managed, make sure that it is configured and um, uh, done right with the, with the right level of of educated talent uh, working those environments is is crucial. So we we lead with that security part of it now. Um, uh, you know, Sahan, to your point, it, it can't be a hurdle, but it has to be done right and done well. Um, and so it's it's the first step uh, for us and um, controlling that that overall um, presence that we put out there uh, for the public to to expose. I would add, uh, and that's a great, great point. I would add that when you start to deploy those assets, the tagging strategy is absolutely critical. Making sure that you're, uh, when, when these assets are deployed, you know what the purpose of the asset is. You understand who owns it within your organization, who has, who is supposed to, to care and feed it. And, and also those tags should really just kind of display to you what kind of data you're running through that asset too. So great points from both of you. And that's, I guess I'll add on to that a little bit as well, but you're right. It's, um, it's tagging and it's also how you architect uh, your, your tenant um, down to your point of data, you know, what, what data should be exposed across which parts of the tenant um, and, and building those, uh, I don't know the right word, but then, you know, basically those networks within networks um, and getting that right. So it's, uh, you need segmentation early on and that tagging and that, that structured architecture is uh, crucial, crucial. And the, the VPCs essentially, right. And that's, not everyone, not everyone understands the intricacies of networking in there. Cause it's not that traditional, you know, on-premise approach. It is very, uh, very different. Where are we as far, you know, we talked, Chris Ackroyd, you talked about letting, versus doing, uh, how that's kind of amusing. We want security in first. We don't want cloud sprawl. Cloud sprawl sounds to me like um, we we still do, and we used to talk about um, 
people buying things in different departments without it going through the CIO, without, you know, electronic things or, or technologies, without it being vetted by the CIO. So you had uh, things coming onto the network in departments that never went through IT. Um, now we have a similar dynamic with things being spun up in a cloud arrangement that is not from a governance point of view, going through IT and security. Um, so where are we with both of those things, Chris Aykroyd, in terms of really having a governance process that has all the leaks plugged? Um, not that you have leakage to the point that we're catching 90% of it, which might even be great, depending on what's going on out there. But Chris Aykroyd, your thoughts? Uh, I'm fortunate that our organization's taken big, big stands on how contracts are approved, how purchases are done. Uh, everything does have to funnel through uh, various groups of approval, uh, not just IT, you know, legal, privacy, others, uh, to make sure that one we are aware and, and, and support. Um, so that's really stopped a lot of a lot of that for us. Um, you know, your risks out there are maybe the smaller things that people can purchase on a credit card uh, and spin up. You know, I don't I don't think they're going to necessarily spin up an AWS instance, but maybe they can on a credit card. Um, we haven't had that issue yet, but we counter that and validate uh, that the controls are working through um, the monitoring of our attack surface um, as it is out there in the industry. So uh, using uh, third-party tools to go out, um, look and, and scour for things that may match our, our names, um, expose our IPs and, and what connects. So it's it's not foolproof, but it's, it's a good start uh, and, and monitors outside of our four walls of what we're doing as well. So, Han, this is an interesting concept of cloud sprawl uh, and expanding your attack surface. It does, obviously, two things we don't want to happen. One is uncontrolled costs, because, as as Chris Bowen said, is utility. You pay for what you use. Everybody's excited, which we like, right? Everybody in the organization says, this is great. It's like a big sandbox, and everybody gets to play. But if everybody plays, you get a hell of a bill, like a kid uh, who's got his uh, cell phone when they when they used to not be unlimited and you used to sort of have to pay for what you use. So not only increasing costs, but you're creating this sprawl, which um, has security implications. So talk more about your thoughts around that. Um, even how you could picture the organ, you know, this is where it's all going. How do you picture the organization being able to get its arms around this? So it's controlled. Yeah. And I, I think it goes back to, again, <clears throat> the relationships that you have previously built in the organization means that people will come and involve you sooner because they see you as an enabler rather than a roadblock. Uh, and we've, I think for myself, I've seen at other organizations how that cost control can get out of, I mean, just out of control very, very quickly to be certain. Um, you think you're bursting or you think you're just spinning up something temporarily and the VM gets left on way longer and suddenly your bill is magnitude <laughs> bigger than you you were anticipating. Uh, and so for us, our contracting process is uh, incredibly similar from a, a feedback loop, you know, across the org, kind of the, the different pillars that want to review it. Um, you know, there's the administrative control of who are actual authorized signatories uh, for contracts in our org. And then, I mean, I, I would venture it's a safe assumption. Most people don't want to put business expenses on their personal credit card, especially recurring ones. And so having a good relationship with our finance folks and supply chain folks to say, hey, uh, procurement, part of the process is vetting validation. The paperwork's all there. 
and that you're not we're not just putting our credit card into these SaaS apps that weren't uh, weren't sanctioned. And so, um, again, if you don't enable folks, they will be incentivized to go around you. So um, the better you work with them on how can we get to yes in the best way um, is, is part of the risk management process here. Chris Bowen, I would, I would, I would have thought it would be fairly simple uh, to prevent people from sort of, as we say, spinning up instances and playing in the sandbox. I would think that that could be limited to to certain authorized individuals with proper passwords, and that everybody couldn't just go play in the sandbox. But am I wrong? Well, we've been working on that uh, challenge for a decade, and we've we've gotten pretty good at it. One of the ways we operate is to enable. Um, CIOs, CISOs, other organizations and stakeholders to, uh, you know, first address the security. You know, we we harden 96 different images over three different clouds on a monthly basis. That's a lot of work, but it allows our customers to get in there and just deploy those. Uh, and, and the hardened uh, image has already got all the security baked in. So you don't have to worry about that so much. And that really does facilitate a lot more velocity in uh, taking an idea to uh, to the market, if you will. Um, on the on the finance side, uh, again, one of the things that we help our customers do is is look at and optimize their environments on a regular basis. We, when we see something get out of hand, we're usually on the phone saying, "Hey, uh, Sahan, we need to look at your cloud spend. You just increased it by ten percent. Let's figure out what's going on. Is this planned? Is this expected? Do we need to shut some things down or re-architect some things?" Um, Again, it's it's about getting out of the way of our customers so that they can deploy the cloud when they need to, when they want to, but do so in a way that accomplishes their goals and aligns with their contracts, aligns with the, the SLAs, and aligns with the financial uh, requirements that they have as an organization. It's really an empowerment strategy. It's It's taken a long time to get there, but uh, we've found great success with with payers, providers, life science companies all across the board on how to just how to rapidly deploy when they want to, but not when they shouldn't. So Chris Bowen, the customers, the the health systems would come to you. They say, if they're saying sort of, we want to be, we want to get off-prem. We want to take advantage of of the cloud, the public cloud. Some, one of the big three players, we want to start moving workloads up there. We want to have more flexibility and save money. But it's it's a little tricky up there, and we don't know all the ins and outs, and and how to how to how to best do this and make sure it's all secure. So we want to bring in someone someone like Clear Data, help me navigate this exciting new world that I know I need to be a part of, but it's a little scary. Is that right? Sure. Yeah, that's exactly what we do. We we go in and we understand what's available, what's ready to go to the cloud. Mm-hmm. A lot of people make the mistake of doing a lift and shift from their on-premise data center and put the same thing into the cloud, which then is does not allow you to realize the value and the cost savings that can be associated with the cloud. Um, I, I, you know, once you understand what can be cloud enabled, uh, that's when you either uh, deploy it in a greenfield way, brand new environment. In many cases, we have health systems that will have production environments that are already going. And, uh, and they've decided, hey, they want to deploy their resources in a different way. And so they'll come to us and say, can you take this over? And we work with them to, to remediate and make sure that the uh, compliance scores are appropriate uh, and reasonable under HIPAA to make sure that uh, 
the environments are are secure, they're they're safe, they're compliant for PHI, and then we we take them under our wing and we manage them for these companies and allow them to to innovate the way they want to without having to understand the intricacies of of lambda calls and uh, serverless uh, technologies and containers and how to secure uh, ephemeral instances, those kinds of things. So it's there's a lot to, to understand, but our customers learn. They learn over time and they start to get really good at it. And then mm-hmm. they, they do a crawl, walk, run kind of strategy. It's kind of fun to watch. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Um, let's see if we can get a little deeper here if anybody has any thoughts. Um, Sahan, unique security concerns posed by the cloud that are different than on-prem. Oh, man. Uh, well, number one, uh, I think there's first the mindset approach of how access is different. Um, you know, I think it's very rare that it works out that you can say, well, we're moving this workload up here, but uh, it's IP filtering and, and doing things like that. So you really have to look at what are better preventative controls for access and authorization. Um, identity management is still huge. Uh, if you, you are able to proactively look at federation for identity into whatever your identity provider is, um, that's huge. Uh, I think also alongside that, having uh, a good multi-factor authentication approach makes that uh, that risk much less. Um, so some of the basics are, are certainly still there, but you might have more or less, depending on the provider, uh, more flexibility, I think. And the other concerns are, the biggest one for me, honestly, is, is the telemetry that you are able to get. Um, you know, from a monitoring standpoint, uh, you know, a lot of my background is more in the security operations side. And so the, the amount of telemetry that you are able to get and what's actually useful, can you ingest it into things like your SIM or other platforms? And then what's actually actionable? Um, that's that's a pretty unique concern that's um, being worked on, but it's not, there's no standard. Here's the cloud output from a SaaS application. Here's the format. Uh, and we send it over encrypted syslog to or whatever. It just depends. Or um, here's a standard API configuration that you can just pull from. Some people have done a great job. I'll absolutely give credit to Microsoft's Graph API. That's um, a good example of how things can be easier and, and democratized, essentially. But uh, those are the big ones, because um, then you also won't necessarily have visibility after a certain layer. Um, you know, we'll use, if you just virtualize certain workloads, you might have host telemetry because um, you've just got a virtual server up there. But at a, at a hypervisor light layer where there might be critical insights, are you still getting uh, that information? Chris Ackroyd. Uh, so Han covered quite a bit of it. Um, yeah, I think in addition to all that for us, and I mentioned it earlier, is uh, is kind of the skill set of the tooling of your team. Um, it's it's different than on-premise uh, hypervisors and traditional on-prem data centers we deal with. So, you know, Sahan was alluding to it, but it's for us it's the same way. We got we need educated people that are deeply educated in in the various platforms that we're going to utilize, um, understanding some of the decisions they make. And kind of what those ramifications are. And it, it does take experiences, as Chris was kind of laying out a second ago, but uh, getting that telemetry all integrated and treating it as an extension or just another data center uh, for us is, is critical. 
got to be able to to see the threats and respond to the threats appropriately. Um, if you don't have eyes on it, it's going to be a concern. So, so Chris Bowen, this is very interesting, right? I mean, this is where a company like yours comes in because what we're saying essentially about this, and I've heard this before about um, retooling the skill set of your IT team, it's because it's not the same, right? It's on-premise is not the same as managing security in the cloud. Um, and so the team you have, if you are changing your environment, they need to, you need to either bring in new folks uh, who have these skills or educate these folks or bring in outside help because it doesn't translate apples to apples, correct? It's, uh, I mean, it's the fundamentals, the, the theoretical fundamentals are similar. Uh, you know, you've got your defense layers of defense. You've got your zero trust if you're into that model. Um, but you're right. The skill sets are different. And the, the people who possess those skill sets are in high demand and they're expensive. Uh, one of the reasons people come to us or customers come to us is because uh, they can get some economies of scale of, for that talent. And, uh, and then when, you know, their own people are poached by a cloud provider, uh, they're not left with no skills. So a partner strategy is a great strategy, whatever partner that, uh, that the, you know, the healthcare providers choose, uh, you know, there's a lot of considerations for that. One of the, one of the things that we benefit, provide benefit to our client, I'm trying not to be salesy here, but, um, <laughs> The, uh, the fact is we, we pull telemetry from our hundreds and hundreds of customers, our hundreds and hundreds of, of healthcare-specific customers, since that's all we do. And we can then take those insights and we can apply those insights, the behavioral heuristics of the, the behaviors of all of these different systems. And we can then uh, fortify the fleet of all of the uh, services, the cloud services, the machines, et cetera to prevent in advance uh, the concerns that some of our uh, panelists here have, uh, have talked about, uh, whether that's a, a, a critical zero day where we need to deploy that to everyone else, whether that's a, a pattern that we're seeing from a ransomware perspective. I think Chris Aykroyd, you said it well earlier, one of the, the challenges that we're trying to overcome is to prevent ransomware. I'll tell you what, S3 on AWS and similar uh, strategies and other clouds allow you to 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 almost air gap by nature the, the 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 data that's stored in those buckets because of the life cycling of that data the versioning of that data uh, and so there's a lot of ways to use the cloud to to allay some of these security concerns um, I, I just think it's a it's a great strategy the other part of the equation though is if you have SSO single sign on and federation to from your cloud to your on-premise, you still have to protect the the, the the lateral north, south, east, west attacks that could come through your SSO and could come through your your uh, federation. Um, so that's that's a consideration that we're seeing more patterns around that that, that folks need to be concerned about. Uh, Sahan, thoughts on on upskilling your team? I mean, do you, when you look at this and you look at the trajectory of your organization, you look at your IT security team, do you say, okay, I, I see certain individuals and their skills uh, can easily be extended by learning some new things. Um, I know there's this one piece where we don't really have anybody, so I'm going to have to get someone for that at some point. 
Uh, and then maybe I'm going to bring on a partner at some point to help me with some of this. Are you thinking sort of thinking out along those lines? Yeah, absolutely. And and we also look at it as how do we ensure that the the folks who are doing the day-to-day work are similarly empowered. Um, you know, for, for me, I, I really do believe that if you empower the folks that are actually doing the maintenance, the folks on the infrastructure, cloud infrastructure teams, all of that, if they understand the why behind the what when we're saying certain controls need to be in place or whatever, um, that's a much different concept versus uh, we're over here and you're over there and we're all trained up and we caught you doing something, you know, with these fancy controls, uh, detection capabilities we have in place. Uh, um, as much as as much fun as playing cleanup is, uh, that more proactive approach helps. And from a talent skill set development standpoint, uh, first and foremost, we try and give people the opportunity to know that they can try and, and fail gracefully, um, you know, within the context of not impacting operations as best as we can, not impacting patient care, but um, it's it's okay to get something wrong uh, and learn from it and keep growing in that sense. We invest in continuing education, whether it's uh, training courses, um, whether it's security conferences, um, and really giving people the the time and space to explore uh, new areas. And, and for me personally, I also check in um, with my team during our one-on-ones every now and then, you know, what's interesting to you, what's not, you know, what's an area that you'd like to explore maybe next year? Um, how do we keep moving along in those career development areas? And uh, if there's not, maybe, you know, from my view, here's something that seems like it might be a complementary or somewhat adjacent skill set that we need. And I'm going to challenge you to grow outside of your comfort zone. Um, you know, that's part of, I think, the leadership is helping people push the boundaries of known into um, kind of that uncomfortable zone where the the magic happens. Chris Ackroyd, are you trying to sort of skate to the puck, as they say, from a from a uh, team knowledge and skills point of view, and get them skilled up for a cloud world and encourage? I would imagine they're excited to have opportunities to get certifications and learn new things. Absolutely, yeah, it's it's a growth opportunity for uh, for everyone, and and they're excited about it. We've uh, so yes, I mean, with a lot of education, Sahan uh, laid out of of getting certified in these platforms, understanding it better. We've been additionally tapped the market for um, uh, new hires uh, to bring in some experts that can do some of the cross training and uh, dissemination of of that talent amongst the team. You know, Sahan points out, we do the same thing here that um, it's not just the security department who needs security; it is it is kind of how you live and breathe. It's part; it should be part of your DNA. Um, and that's, um, that's absolutely what we've done with, with the people we can bring in. Um, additionally, we are tapping on the partner market, um, you know, recognizing that it's, um, it, it's a big undertaking when you start looking at things like office 365 on top of native cloud environments, office 365 in itself is a beast, um, in how it's, how it's secured and especially, you know, privacy, um, you know, if, if you're not, Managing a lot of those roles and, and security accesses, right? You, you know, are you are you keeping the internal information private amongst other departments? Even um, so, you know, SharePoint sites and those types of things have continued to to plague plague that. So there's a lot of best practices that we all need to learn and really put it in focus and make it make it a core of of how we operate. And that's that's how we've been staffing and upskilling as we've been talking about here. 
Chris Bowen, what would your advice be to CIOs and CISOs that uh, want to make sure their team is prepared to handle uh, the cloud? And from a skills point of view, I mean, what should they be doing? Well, I mean, there's a lot of great resources to learn the cloud. Um, the Cloud Guru is a great resource. Udemy has some great courses. Uh, there, there are lab-based courses that can start that process. I think the best way to learn as well is to is to get in there and start doing it in a in a safe way. And you can certainly create a VPC, a virtual cloud uh, network that will um, allow you to play uh, in a way that that can help you learn. Um, you know, leveraging a partner also allows the, your your talent, your skills to develop over time because you can certainly observe and and be at the uh, at the control panel, if you will, of uh, of deploying cloud and seeing how it works and and seeing how it fails. And, and the other thing is, um, you know, partners, uh, us in particular, you know, one of the things we provide our customers is a compliance reference architecture that helps them understand the risks of a service understand how to configure the service, what types of use cases should be uh, applied to a service or a service to apply to a use case rather. And, and really what comorbidities there could be, for example, uh, if you combine a service that, uh, that might ne not necessarily play well with another service. And so uh, leveraging that knowledge from the partnership uh, is, is a great uh, way to, to upskill as well. Very good. All right. Um, Chris Ackroyd, we're going to start with you on this. How can the proper use of high quality threat intelligence help secure your cloud arrangements? So uh, bringing in the concept of threat intelligence there. Uh, certainly, um, kind of for me, a baseline requirement. You know, I've talked a little bit about the attack surface and uh, management of, uh, and we do manage very closely our assets and inventory um, that uh, where we have it, um, whether it be native cloud, SaaS, or um, on-prem, but getting those IOCs in on um, on threats and correlating those to to our known assets is, is key and it's part of what we do. So it's a number of different threat sources we, <clears throat> we bring in to do this. Um, and um, getting getting relevant data uh, based on what we what we actually have out there. Very good, Sahan. So, <laughs> when I saw this topic, I thought, man, there's a lot of uh, divisive opinions in the researcher community. To be certain, um, for for us, our approach is really threat intelligence helps us inform the IOCs for us retroactively. Um, you know, being able to look at how. What are specific artifacts for us? Um, for us, we we look at threat intelligence from a, a, a TTP, you know, tactics, techniques, procedures. Um, you know, what were really the methodologies that they went about with, and that's something we're still working on um, candidly on how how do we get better at that on premise? I think just since that's existed longer, we have a better understanding of uh, what are those kind of attack paths and how do we manage those versus in the cloud, it still is on the newer side and there's constant innovations and things shift. I mean, if the name of the product changes every two, three months, you know, what's available probably is shifting as well. So um, we try and look at really from a risk management standpoint, what, what can we look at, especially in terms of like other breaches that come become public? Um, you know, how did the attacker gain access? How did they 
escalate their privileges, move laterally? You know, what are common outcomes that they look for? Uh, and then how does that inform our actions? Chris Bowen, let's talk a little bit about threat intelligence. Uh, you know, I would imagine the key here, uh, getting it is probably you, you subscribe to some sort of information. You're, you're just in a feed, but it's using it incorrectly, right? You don't, any of these things could happen. You could be overloaded like clinicians can be uh, with alerts. Um, you can overreact perhaps to things that really don't need that much attention. Uh, and then you could either only be getting industry specific or not getting industry specific. So there are lots of ways to misuse threat intelligence or not use it well. What's your advice here? Well, I think understanding your baseline pattern of behavior in your own systems is a great way to uh, uh, to think about how to apply the threat intelligence. I think CISA does a pretty good job of sharing the information that they need to from a, a threat perspective. I think uh, other organizations do the same, HISAC and others. Uh, I think sharing information still is in its infancy for, for some strange reason. People are are hesitant to share some of the, the problems that they've had, the lessons learned that they have had as well. Um, but again, it, it comes back to how to apply that in a way that uh, makes a difference. And, and we, we have an advantage that others don't because we have hundreds of healthcare organizations that we get to see the behaviors of their systems. And then, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, apply the, the safeguards, apply the uh, defensive measures across the fleet in a very automated way. Um, but, you know, I would, I would urge those who are watching to, to not necessarily think that you're going to overreact to a, an alert. I would rather have someone overreact than ignore because uh, ignoring a threat is, is, uh, is really going to cause a, a very bad day for, uh, for folks who, who have ignored it. And this happens to be the wrong one. Um, again, we only use, um, intelligence that we believe could have an impact to us and to our customers. And, um, uh, but we also look at the patterns, the patterns that uh, other, in other industries have as well. So I, I wouldn't say using only industry sources is a, is a bad thing, I, I'd say, but you do need to layer in some of the other intelligence. All right, very good. Uh, we're going to go to my favorite segment, asking a co-panelist. Um, I'm going to start with you, Chris Aykroyd. Uh, do you have a question for one or both of your co-panelists? Um, I guess, yeah, start with, I guess with Chris Bowen. Um, uh, you, you were just laying out a lot of that threat intelligence there uh, in the, co the conversation around that. What, from your perspective, is there... Are there other sources that maybe that aren't active threat intelligence that should be utilized when you're looking at your overall environment, whether it be cloud or on-prem, but are there, um, I don't know the right word, maybe passive resources for monitoring things about your organization uh, that you you have found important? Yeah, that's a good question. We use the MITRE framework quite a bit. We use, uh, we attend the, the threat briefings from uh, the FBI, HHS, others. There's a, an organization, some of you probably belong to this. Uh, but it's the Health Sector Cyber Council Working Group. I don't know that that uh, name has been focus grouped at all, but uh, mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, it's a it's a, a grouping of about 250 different healthcare providers, medical device manufacturers, 
the FDAs in the partnership there. Same with Homeland Security. Um, we'll make sure that you guys get the, the link to that. But joining that is free. And what happens is that twice a year, we all get together and we try to solve problems that the healthcare industry is facing from a cyber threat per perspective. And that goes, you know, there's a bunch of different task groups, task force groups, some of which are focused on looking at what's coming. You know, for example, when AI started to, to come into play, when machine learning, you know, there's, there's uh, uh, your peers are out there trying to figure out how to apply that or not in a healthcare setting. So joining those kinds of groups, very important, not only for your organization, but also for the industry as a whole. Excellent, very good. Uh, Chris Bowen, do you have a question for one or both of your co-panelists? Sure, I would love to know uh, how you, Sahan, are, are taking care of the governance process in your organization. I know that was a big topic in the, in the early part of the, of, the, of the panel here. Uh, how are you approaching it? Uh, very similar, it seems like, to Chris's program. I mean, uh, I was fortunate that when I joined, there was already a very strong contract review process. And so that does, uh, that helps quite a lot, um, to be really honest. That's that's huge. We have to review every every statement of work, every contract, managed service agreement, what, what master service agreement, whatever it is, if it requires signature, um, IT, legal, um, and finance all have to sign off. It goes to other layers of review. And so that uh, that process is very flexible. So it doesn't need to be a roadblock, but it does ensure the right feedback loops. And so um, my, my boss also ensures that I'm looped in, um, especially now a few years in. Folks know it's a little easier as you're going through uh, discussion, scoping of engagements. Uh, hey, Son, I would love for you to take a look at this. We're, we're looking at X or Y to fill this need. You know, do you see any concerns? Oh yeah, let me just take a look at that. Um, you know, hey, here's, this all looks great. Um, you know, we have a base questionnaire. We don't like to do the death by fill out questionnaire and upload a billion pieces of artifacts. Like that's, that's not our thing, but at least here are some basic fundamental tenets of your security program. You're testing, you say yes. And so that governance gives us the ability to at least have the conversations and go deeper as we need to, because not everyone needs the same level of, of rigor for sure. Um, and so that I think has worked well for us. We've been, uh, been fortunate. And to be honest, right now, we're even looking at one proposed vendor where the risk assessment was not kind. And we're <laughs> going to have that internal conversation with stakeholders about, look, it's ultimately up to you. This, this is not a unilateral decision, but here are the risks that we see. Here's the why that matters. And especially within the context of what we are looking at doing with them. Um, so it lets us just really show that we are on your team and here to support um, and make sure that you are advised and empowered about like what, what are you really getting into here? Yeah, Sahana, and you make a, a great point. You have to, as a security department, you have to show yourself to be responsive and a partner and somewhere that they should come, but that is not a dead end, right? Because if you're not moving as quickly as you can to get the, to keep their project moving, their requests moving, they start to see IT security as a dead end. Then they'll do everything they can to avoid interacting with you. But if you show yourself to be responsive uh, to their needs, 
doesn't mean you're going to roll over. And, and like you said, you're going to tell them, hey, this is an issue here with this vendor you really like. But at least they know you're a good partner. Um, just you want to say any more about that? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're absolutely spot on. I mean, that's that's a huge thing for me. I always believe that uh, you know communication is you need to give what you expect. Um, you know, my standards are a little higher for myself, and I uh, admittedly try and keep an inbox zero so that I can cut straight to what's important. Um, I don't like to let people sit there hanging on. Hey, I have a question for you. At least want to give them the hey, I saw this. Might take me a few days to get to it, um, or I'll get to it right away, whichever is, is reasonable. But um, part of that feedback loop is just keeping people informed because uh, I, I think there's a huge delta in their response on, hey, just following up, hey, just bumping this thread versus, hey, I'm letting you know, I will get back to you in three to five days. Let me know if that's not okay, and I'll, I'll see what I can do. But um, that proactive communication really does uh, shape the expectation management for sure. Chris Ackroyd, I'm guessing you agree. I do agree. I think, you know, the partnership is, is really what our programs are, our security programs built on of the shared risk. It's a business risk that um, uh, our users participate in as well. So, it, you know, even through training and education, making sure that our frontline employees are just as aware of kind of what risks are and what their, how their actions can um, increase risk. When it comes to what Son was uh, Son was laying out with uh, risk assessments and some of the business more more business decisions, uh, totally agree. I think when we go with that risk assessment process, a lot of it is education, sitting down, having a collaborative discussion of, you know, really at the end of the day, it, it, these are the risks that we see. Um, we've only had one case in my my recent history where we've actually put our foot down and said, absolutely not. Um, we are we are taking this off the network and it's not coming back on until it's remediated. Um, it's kind of the the rare existence because most vendors nowadays understand security and, and maintain and keep it up with. So it's it's always a scary thing when you see uh, something like that creep through where a vendor's not taking it seriously. Um, but you know that that conversation went well and it's it's because of a healthy partnership. They they know we're not trying to be a roadblock. They understand that the alternative would increase risk to the overall organization, what our mission is. And it, no one's willing to sacrifice the mission of taking care of patients for, for their own personal need. And so it's, uh, it, it's a good two-way relationship that, that has to be maintained. Uh, just real quick, uh, Chris, I, I that's an interesting scenario. Um, did that, was that something that got on the network that did not go through the proper channels and then when it was caught it was oh my god look at this thing or did it get on it was vetted it got on and then there was some sort of change enacted by the vendor that made it unacceptable it's um well it's a great question so um that particular solution did kind of go a little bit out of governance but still fell in through the majority of our governance process and and to clarify that uh we we have over the last couple of years institute what we call vendor selection, where if we if we want to go buy a new product, we go out and look at the market to see who the, who meets the requirements. And as a joint IT and business uh, group, we select the appropriate product. This one skipped that process. Mm -hmm. um, it it checked all the boxes during a risk assessment, um, but when it got on the network and you start scanning it and doing vulnerability um, assessments of it, it failed. And then log four J comes out. It really failed. And um, 
you know, that they didn't have the technical chops to fix the log4j issues. It's exposed to the internet. Um, and it's just, there's no questions asked. It's it's off. And so, you know, now now going back and reassessing, we, we know a lot more about it, um, holding firm and really trying to bring the vendor along with uh, with us and our needs. And it's it's making progress. Very good. Thank you for uh, providing a little more uh, detail on that. Uh, Sahan, your opportunity to ask a question for one or both of your co-panelists. Yeah, uh, they they both ask really great high-level questions. Um, some some ones I was thinking of. Uh, I've got one a little bit more specific. Um, how do you go about, and what are your thoughts on when cloud providers charge or upsell for security features? And I think SSO is the most common example. How do you navigate those conversations, and and what are your thoughts on that uh, that paradigm? Uh, Chris Bowen, let's go to you first. Yeah, I think uh, being transparent with your partners, with your customers, is a very important thing. It's it's um, they're in the business to make money. They make a lot of money, and it's not unreasonable to have uh, different SKUs, if you will, uh, in a in a cloud solution. In in some cases, the the services are dirt cheap. Uh, which are which are great. Like for example, using a WAF in front of a, a, a web application that's exposed to the internet on AWS, um, you know th- that's very very inexpensive. Uh, so I, I'm not a, I'm not opposed to it. I just think having to manage the expectations of our customers, helping them understand how to optimize the solution, how to architect it correctly in a way that meets their needs, I, I think it's it's appropriate and uh, I think it's fine and and. Um, you know, it's, it is what it is at this yeah. point. Yeah, if they're above board, right, you, then you can make an informed decision whether or not you you think that should be part of the package. It shouldn't be extra, but uh, at least I guess they're telling you. Chris Ackroyd, any thoughts on Sahan's question? Uh, I don't think a lot to add to what Chris was saying. Um, I, I agree. I mean, if it's, if it's about the right architecture and the right controls, then it kind of is what it is. And um, if you're able to negotiate, great. But if not, then... Um, I guess, I guess that's where you are. So uh, yeah, I don't have a lot yeah. to add. Yeah, it's uh, it just uh, doesn't leave you with a good feeling if you feel like it should be part of the package. If they right. if they took the price they're charging you as a standalone, made it part of the package, and just tucked that cost in, you'd never notice it. It's just sort of being charged for something you feel should be part of the main deal, which is probably a little unpleasant. Um, we uh, only have a couple minutes left, so what I want to do is get a final thought from our panelists. Um, and let's uh, let's frame it up this way. Let's, uh, for, for Chris Ackroyd and Sahan Fernando, let's frame it up as a piece of advice, something you've learned in your experience so far going down this road for someone in a similar position at a similar-sized organization. So you're talking to a real peer, Chris Ackroyd. What's the best piece of advice you have from your experience so far? And I've, I've kind of layered it through a lot of my comments, but you know, for us, it's it's really recognizing that um, you got to put the right talent to to the platforms. Make sure that you've got um, knowledgeable people architecting and securing the environments. And for us, not shying away from a partner um, has been the best thing we've done. Uh, we we got to trust the talent out there and put all the controls we can in place because we're. We're as good as the staff we have on, and you know, budgets are limited, resources are limited. So, uh, the the larger we can grow that denominator, that in um, of 
you know, going to a partner, he gets to see multiple healthcare institutions and lessons learned across more than one person. It's brilliant. Um, it, it just makes us uh, more secure and more aware of, of um, what's going on and, and uh, controlling that, that security issue. Very good. Sahan? Yeah, 100% agree. I, and I actually did have a similar conversation just last week with um, with a peer at a similar uh, similar institution. It, you know, they they have a cloud presence, but they're looking at expanding it and doing some fundamental shifts. And right away, the first thing I said was, "Well, make sure that a you train your people and give them the opportunity to learn." But um, here was a partner that helped us, and here's all the things they did really well. Um, here was where we learned some things we needed to do ourselves and have them more informed versus doing. Um, and we were fortunate too, that we were in a position to not have to move too fast. Uh, we could move, we could move fast enough. Um, you know, people wanted some things very quickly, like SharePoint online and OneDrive, but, uh, to do it in a way, manage expectations, manage communications. Um, so as you're, as you're, if you're starting your cloud transformation, um, if you're already in there and now you're trying to ensure the operational side, uh, it, it's all about communication uh, and then understand, making sure you're staying up to date on what are the risks, um, you know, and really what um, what can you do to help manage them and at least have the understanding because uh, I think that reminder of the risk is never zero. Um, so what uh, what are we willing to accept and what are the hills we're going to die on? Right, absolutely. Chris Bowen, um, from my conversations with folks in this area, uh, it seems like the CIO, the CISO are going to be perhaps encouraging the organization to uh, engage with the cloud, sort of proponents of the cloud, right? They're generally saying there's a lot going to offer here. So if that's the case, and they bring the health system along, they don't want to get it wrong, so to speak, right? You don't want to say, yeah, I just convinced you. I told you how great this was going to be. Um, I kind of messed up and we've had some issues. So, um, and it's complicated, right? This is not easy stuff. So your final thought, piece of advice. Yeah, it, it can be complicated. Again, it's if you're going to go hike uh, up, uh, uh, you know, the, the tallest mountain in the world, you don't want to do it by yourself. You want to do, get a get a, a Sherpa with you to help <laughs> you understand where to not step and where not to uh, mess up, if you will. I would also uh, let everybody know that you know the, the journey in the cloud is a shared responsibility. You've, you've heard that many times, probably, but there are there are responsibilities that that the healthcare provider has to continue to to take on, uh, usually around the data, usually around the application side of things. Uh, the cloud provider, the the, the 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 managed service provider for cloud, like a Clear Data, you know, has a, a share of, of responsibilities for making sure that the infrastructure supports the application and those layers of encryption and the, the compliance side of things. Um, and, and then, of course, the the fundamental cloud providers, you know, the the the, the mega ones, the AWSs, etc. Um, you know, they have their responsibilities as well. So it's a shared responsibility. I applaud the folks in this panel today for taking a partnership approach to the cloud, uh, knowing that uh, the crawl, walk, run uh, maturity model, if you will, uh, is a great way to uh, to begin to train your your uh, your, your talent. 
And then I, I would also say at the, at the end of it, just remember that what, and you, you guys know this well, that every record that we're trying to protect represents a human life. And so we, we approach this as a, as a mission of protecting people, not necessarily simply just whipping out uh, infrastructure and architecting it in a, in a great way. We're here to protect people's lives. And we, uh, we take the mission very, very seriously. And I know you all too, do as well. And so I thank all of you for being here and having this incredible conversation. Well, that's a great ending, a great uh, message to, to finish the webinar on. Regarding continuing education, you could use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording of this event is ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team, and you can go to our website to register for upcoming panels. With that, I want to thank our tremendous panel, Chris Aykroyd, Sahan Fernando, and Chris Bowen. I want to thank Clear Data for sponsoring and making the event possible, and you for attending. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you.